You're listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria Vagrida. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people to proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 299. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 171 to 178. 171. The apostles were much aggrieved at the ruin of these converts and at the scandal which would be occasioned by such a pernicious example in the beginnings of the church. They conferred among themselves whether they should notify the Blessed Mary of this event, but they hesitated to cause her this sorrow and pain. St. John told them that the great lady knew all the affairs of the church and that, therefore, also this one could not have escaped her most vigilant attention and charity. Thereupon all went to give her an account of those two apostates, whom they had already exhorted and tried to lead back to the faith. The loving and prudent mother saw no occasion for hiding her sorrow at the threat and loss of souls already aggregated to the church. It was also proper that the apostles should learn from the sorrow of the great lady how they must esteem the children of the church, and with what zeal they were to preserve them in the faith and bring them to eternal life. Our queen returned immediately to her chamber and prostrate on the floor as usual, she poured out a most fervent prayer for the two apostates, shedding copious and bloody tears. 172. In order to lessen somewhat her grief by the knowledge of his hidden judgments, the Lord answered, My spouse, chosen among all creatures, I wish thee to understand my just decrees concerning those two souls, for whom thou prayest, and concerning others who are to enter the church. These two, who have apostatized from my true faith, might do more harm than good among the other faithful if they continue their intercourse with them. For they have very depraved habits and have become still more hardened in their evil inclinations. Hence, in my infinite knowledge, I foresee that they will be reprobates, and that it will be better to separate them from the flock of the faithful than cut them off from the mystical body of the church. Thus, they shall be prevented from infecting others by their contagion. It has already become necessary, my beloved one, that in conformity with the Most High Providence, both the predestined and the foreknown should join my church. Some, who by their sin shall incur damnation, and others, who through my grace are to save themselves by good works. My teachings and my gospel are to be as the net, which gathers in all kinds of fish, good and bad, the wise and the foolish, and the enemy is to sow his cockle among the pure grain of truth. Matthew thirteen twenty eight. In order that the just may justify themselves, so much the more, and the impure, if so they choose in their malice, may defile themselves still more. 
173. This was the answer given by the Lord to this prayer of the Most Holy Mary. At the same time, he renewed within her the participation in his knowledge, in order that she, perceiving the equity of the Most High, in condemning those unworthy of his friendship and glory, might dilate her afflicted heart. But as the Heavenly Mother alone held the measure of the sanctuary in her most eminent wisdom, knowledge, and charity, she alone also, among all creatures, estimated and pondered fully what it meant to lose God eternally, and to be condemned to eternal torments in the company of the demons. And so her sorrow was in proportion. We are aware that the angels and the saints of heaven, who know this mystery in God, cannot feel sorrow or pain, because that would be inappropriate in their happy state. If it would be compatible with their state of glory, their sorrow would be in proportion to the loss caused by the eternal perdition, to those whom they love with perfect charity and whom they desire to have with them in glory. 174. Hence the sorrow and pain for the perdition of souls which was impossible to them, the blessed Mary felt in degree so much the greater, as she exceeded them in wisdom and charity. For she was in the state of pilgrimage in which she could feel his pain. She was endowed with the knowledge of the blessed, by which she understood its cause. For when she enjoyed the beatific vision, she saw in the essence of God his love and infinite goodness for the salvation of men, together with the sorrow which she would have for the perdition of souls, if such sorrow were possible. She knew the horrible character of the demons, their wrath against men, the terrors of the infernal torments, and the endless company of the devils and the damned. As the Most Holy Mary saw that these two souls, and an almost infinite number of others in the church, were to draw upon themselves eternal damnation, what a sorrow, what pains and commiseration were caused in that tender, kind, and loving heart of these evils, and many others far beyond my power of describing. Many times she did lament such misfortunes and exclaim, Is it possible that any soul of its own free will should ever deprive itself eternally of seeing the face of God, and should choose rather to look upon so many demons in hell? 175. The secret of the reprobation of these first apostates, the most prudent queen reserved to herself without manifesting it to the apostles. But while she was thus retired in her affliction, St. John the Evangelist entered to visit her and to inquire as to her wishes and how to serve her. When he saw her so afflicted and sorrowful, he was filled with consternation and asked permission to speak, saying, My lady and mother of my Lord Jesus Christ, since our master died, I have never seen on thy countenance such grief and sorrow as now, when thy face and the eyes are bathed in tears of blood. Tell me, lady, if possible, the cause of this new affliction, and whether I can alleviate it at the cost of my life. The most blessed Mary answered, My son, weep now for this very reason. St. John conceived that the memory of the passion had renewed in the loving mother this bitter grief, and under the impression he said, My lady, as thy son and our Redeemer is now glorious and triumphant in heaven at the right hand of the Eternal Father, thou canst moderate thy tears. Although it is not just that we forget what he suffered for men, yet it is also right that we rejoice in the blessings followed upon his passion and death. 176. She answered, It is also just that I weep when I see, that after he died, some are seeking to crucify him anew by their sins and their apostasy, and by the abuse of the fruits of his precious blood. For I know that in his most ardent love for men, he has suffered for the salvation of each one in particular, whatever he suffered for all together. I see this immense love so little requited, and so many lost, 
who should know him. And I cannot constrain my sorrow, nor continue to live, unless the Lord preserves my life. O children of Adam, formed according to the image of my Son and Lord, what are you thinking of? Where is your judgment and your justification for thus incurring the calamity of losing God forever? St. John replied, My mother and mistress, if thy sorrow is occasioned by these two apostates, thou must know that among so many there must be unfaithful servants. For even in our apostolate itself was numbered Judas, a disciple, in the school of our Redeemer and Teacher. O John, answered the queen, if God himself wished the perdition of some souls, I should be able to restrain my sorrow. But though he permits the damnation of the reprobate, since they themselves seek it, this is not the absolute will of the divine goodness. He wishes all to attain salvation, if only they would not of their own free will resist. That not all should be predestined and gain the fruit of the blood shed for them has cost my son the sweating of blood. And if even now he could be aggrieved for a soul that damns itself, he would doubtlessly be more aggrieved than if he had again to suffer for it. Hence I, who know this truth and am still living in the flesh, rightfully feel what my son desires, to feel if it were possible. By these and other words of the Mother of Mercy, St. John was moved to tears and lamentations in which he joined with her for a considerable time. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Most Blessed Mary, gave me. 177. My daughter, since in this chapter thou hast particularly learnt of the matchless and bitter sorrow with which I bewail the perdition of souls, thou thyself must learn also what thou must do for the salvation of thy own, and that of others, in order to imitate me in the perfection which I require of thee. No torment, nor death itself, would I have refused if such had been necessary to save any of the damned, and to save them I would have esteemed all sufferings a sweet alleviation in my most ardent charity. Hence, if thou dost not die of this kind of sorrow, thou art at least not excused from willingness to suffer all that the Lord sends thee for advancing this cause, or from praying and laboring all in thy power to prevent any sin in thy neighbor. And when thou canst not at all once obtain thy object, or dost not know whether the Lord has heard thee, do not lose confidence, but enliven it and persevere in thy efforts. For such a solicitude can never displease him who desires the salvation of all his redeemed more than thou. If nevertheless thou art not heard in thy prayers, make use of the means which prudence and charity require, and return anew to thy prayers. The Most High is always attracted by this sort of charity for the neighbor, and by love which seeks to hinder sin. He desires not the death of the sinner, Ezekiel 33.11, and as thou hast written, he does not entertain an absolute and antecedent decree of the damning of his creatures, but seeks to save them all if they do not pursue perdition of their own free will. Although he permits this injustice as being inseparable from the free will of man, it is against his inclination. Do not restrict thyself in these petitions, and in those concerning temporal things pray that his holy will be done in all that is proper. 178. If I desire that thou labor with such fervor of charity for the salvation of thy brethren, consider what thou must do to save thyself, and in what estimation thou must hold thy own soul, for which an infinite price was offered. I wish to admonish thee as a mother, that when temptations and passions incline thee toward the commission of any sin, no matter how small, remember the sorrows and the tears which the knowledge of the sins of men and the desire to prevent them have caused me. Do not thou cause the like in me, my dearest, 
For although I am now incapable of that pain, yet thou deprivest me of the accidental joy of seeing thee, to whom I condescended to become a mother and teacher, really endowed with the perfection taught in my school. If thou art unfaithful in this, thou wilt frustrate my great desire of seeing thee please my divine Son, and accomplish his holy will in all its plenitude, by the infused light which thou receivest. Do thou ponder how great are any faults thou mayest commit after being so favored and bound in duty to the Lord and to myself. Dangers and temptations will not be wanting to thee during the rest of thy earthly life. But in all of them, remembering my teaching, my sorrows, and my tears, and above all, what thou owest to my divine Son, who is so liberal toward thee, and applying to thee the fruit of his blood, for the purpose of eliciting thy grateful correspondence. This concludes our reading today for day number 299. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 171 to 178. Our reading today highlights the sorrow of Our Lady. And that sorrow comes because of people choosing to turn away from God. It comes when people reject the ways of the gospel. And that sorrow of Our Lady is not confined to her time here on earth. But it also is now that she sorrows over the state of the world and the state of souls. It's why, again, Mary has appeared so often, calling straying humanity back to God. I always think of La Salette specifically mentioning two commandments that people were disobeying. She came so that we might honor the Sabbath, that we might keep holy God's name. In La Salette, she cries. She sorrowed over those sins. She still sorrows today. We so often think of Our Lady of Sorrows as the sorrow of the cross, of being there, and the seven sorrows. But there are so many other sorrows that she has, which Maria of Agreda highlighted today for us. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.